there. We're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. I want to talk to you about something that's in my heart because I believe that there are several things that happen to every believer and everybody in this world, whether you're a believer or not here this morning, whether you're watching online, listening online, or even here live with us here today. There's several different myths that we have heard in our lives. How many have ever heard a myth something and you, you hear it and you're like, that's not true, or that's been debunked, right? So let's talk about myths for a few moments. Can we talk about that? Let's talk about myths. One of the myths is that um, it, it's been tailored that the 300 men that fought off hundreds of thousands of enemies, uh, you know, of Sparta, hello, Sparta and the 300, right? A lot of people believe that it was just the 300, a myth, a myth simply because while there were many of those men that fought off the Persian ghost ninjas as depicted in a particular movie, there were 300 Spartan soldiers. But what many people don't know is that there were also 5,000 other soldiers from neighboring countries that partnered with those 300. And so while it is true that 5,000 soldiers combined with them, and that it may be even uh, just over 5,000 that came through, they fought off hundreds of thousands of enemies, still an incredible feat. Would you agree? When you look at that, it's an incredible feat. But that's a myth, that it was just 300 of Sparta. Myth. Myth number two, most people think that in the colonial era, every man wore wigs. Myth. Wigs and powdered hair were a fashion at the time, but in fact, only about 5% of the population wore them. In fact, wigs were so expensive and were mainly worn by lawyers, statesmen, and other people uh, of the upper class. They're the ones that wore them. When I looked at, you know, when I look at those uh, colonial days, I think everybody wore wigs, right? Because we find pictures of people that, and then we think that everybody, well, 5% wore wigs. Everybody else couldn't afford it. The blue collar workers or whatnot could not afford it. So that's a myth. Everybody say bunked. Okay, so the third one is simply this. Washington, George Washington chopped down a cherry tree. Okay, so one of the most famous American legends is George Washington, and it was told that as a six-year-old boy, he chopped down his father's cherry tree. Well, when asked about it, so the story goes, he said with the utmost virtue, I cannot lie, I did cut it with my hatchet. Well, this event never really, really happened the way a lot of people think it did. In fact, To illustrate this remarkable virtue, Mason Locke Weems wrote in a book, because Washington was a legend, um, he wrote in his story, and the story sold like hotcakes, but here's the truth, after Washington's death, so many people wanted to know about George Washington that they bought every story and everything. In fact, Weems, who was an itinerant minister, drew attention to Washington's private virtues, and in fact... Um, was told in this biography, The Life of Washington, that this was the, it was first published in 1800. It wasn't until the fifth edition, it wasn't until the fifth edition in 1806 that this story was told. And so, 
myth that he chopped down the entire cherry tree with a hatchet. While he did chop at a cherry tree, he did not chop the whole cherry tree down. So we look at all these myths and some of us hear different myths. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a myth. When you find out, you're like, oh man, I thought that was true. But did you know that myths aren't only subject to the world? There are myths in the church as well. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about sin myths. Sin myths. However they look, however they stand, there are things that are not true that we think are true. If we want to kill sin in our lives, we have to do certain things. And one of those things we have to do is we have to understand sin for what it is. So let's look at sin for a moment. Sin is the opposite of what God wants you to have in your life, right? It is directly opposing the way and will of God. That is the definition, in a nutshell, sin. Say it with me. Sin is directly opposing the way and will of God. Okay, so let's define it. Before we define what the myths are, we have to define what sin is, and sin is directly opposing the way and will of God. So when I talk about sin myths this morning, we look at, we must speak against the lies that often come, that often come against the body of Christ. How many of you are against lies? Okay, I hope you lifted your hand. If you embrace lies, there's going to be an altar, a call, and we'll help you through it. But in all seriousness, aren't we wanting truth? We want to know truth. So allow me for a few moments this morning to debunk some things that I believe if we just understand these to be true, it's going to help your Christian faith. How many could use a little Christian vitamin right now because you're sick of what you're seeing around the world? Right? I said it before and I'll say it again. No matter how much news you watch, there's a lot more good happening in this world than bad. There's a lot more good than the news will tell you. Don't buy into it. The Spirit of God is active and willing and more than able to use you to change the world because the world is not as you think it is or as reported. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. The world is not as reported. There is truth. There is life. There is joy. There is peace. There is grace. There is goodness. There is faithfulness. There are good people. Amen. There are good people. God's people, by and large, most people who go to church, they're trying to be good, but is good good enough to enter heaven? No, it's not. It's a good start. But I want to tell you a few things that will help you. If we can get past the mindset of some of these things, I tell you this right now, um, there are some mindsets, some myths. Everyone look at me for a moment. There are some myths that maybe you have walked into this room with that I hope you walk away with this morning going, wow, I didn't see that and it caught me off guard. So here's a couple myths. Can I share them with you? Because I fully intend on doing so. <laughs> I just want a little, a little edification on that. Is that all right? <laughs> Let's go. S number one, sin 
comes from temptation. Myth. Myth. When we talk about sin, we often talk about temptation. They almost go hand in hand, right? We almost look at sin and we go, oh, they tempted me, so I sinned. As if sin is like a little error. Sin doesn't come from my little error. My friends, look at me, everyone, from the youngest to the oldest, hear what I'm saying to you today. Hear what I'm saying to you. Sin does not come from temptation. For, the mo- for most of us, we look at sin and temptation, they go hand in hand. That is not entirely true. It is a myth. The problem is that the Bible, oftentimes, when it talks about sin, it talks about them being tempted. So instead of uh, us understanding that sin is a heart condition, we, we look at the temptation as, man, it w- I was tempted, so I fell. Can I just go a little deeper for a moment? Turn with me to James. Everybody open your Bibles to the book of James for a moment. I'm going to wait till you get there. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. When you got to say I got it. James 1, 14 and 15. Okay, we got a few got it's in the room. Very good. Verse 14. We look at James 1.14 and it says like this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Did you hear that? It is absolutely amazing how many people think, I was tempted so, man. If I, just, if I, if I wasn't tempted, I wouldn't have fell. If that wasn't in the room, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. If I didn't have internet, then I would have gone there. If she wouldn't have hit on me, then I wouldn't have taken the bait. If this person would have not told me where they keep the money, I wouldn't have taken it. Come on, somebody. I'm going to get real practical and real spiritual. Are you ready? Six months ago, my wife and I started a health journey. And then lockdown took place, and I was stuck in a house with three amazing children who love chocolate. (laughs) You want to talk about temptation? I'm going to lay it out flat and plain for you. I was Daniel in the lion's den. (laughs) You laugh, but you laugh at my misery. You laugh, you laugh at my temptation. How dare you repent? (laughs) The kingdom of God is at hand. I sat in rooms where they crunched their Oreos and Reese's peanut butter cups filled with joy. (laughs) Hershey chocolate balls filled with almonds. 
Hallelujah. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. My wife will testify how many times we had to say no. No means no. Get those almonds away from me. Get that chocolate away. I know what temptation looked like in the face of the lion. What is happening right now? You say, well, Pastor Tony, you could just say no. Have you seen a Reese's peanut butter cup? Do you even care? Travis we don't sin because we're tempted to sin friends we sin because we desire sin friends I've never been I've been accused of a lot of things in my life but holding back is not one of them and when we deal with sin we have to talk about it like it is is that all right because I fully intend on telling you truth when I come to this pulpit my, my purpose is to bring truth, whether you like it or not. And the truth is, we sin because we di- desire sin. We have, this, we have this desire to sin. In fact, without the desire for temptation, temptation itself is not existent. So here's what I'm saying to you. You cannot tempt me to eat Brussels sprouts Okay, you got real spiritual in the house, especially in this region right here, Holy Spirit. I just want to give you an example. You cannot tempt me to eat Brussels sprouts. I don't care how good you are, how enticing you are, because I've smelled them. They smell like the pit. How dare you try to tempt me? with such a foul vegetable. So I just debunked this idea that somehow just the temptation alone, just the temptation should cause you to fall. No, my friends, it comes when your heart is sunk on an idea and you have nothing to defend it and all of a sudden an opportunity presents itself with no boundaries. Friends, we sin because we desire our own desires. You can tempt me with the things that I love, but you cannot tempt me with the things that I don't. So the temptation in and of itself cannot exist without desire. Sin does not come from temptation. So the fact that sin comes from temptation is a myth. There's no good chance that I can tempt you to eat gravel because you don't desire gravel as food. Calling that a temptation would be ludicrous. But if somehow there's something off inside of you that gives you this unnatural desire for gravel, please see an usher or for someone to pray with you because that's not right. I think I made my point. Desire is at the essence of temptation. 
That's how sin works. Friends, we have broken desires. We have broken desires, and this allows sin to come with us, come at us with different temptations. Let's look at James again. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own evil desires, and they are enticed. Then after that desire has conceived. You see this? Now we look at that desire that is now growing. It's conceived, and then when it gives birth, it gives birth to death. What does that mean? You are now consumed by the very thing that you were tempted by because of your desires. It all stems way back, look at me, to desire. So be very guarding. Be very guarded by what you desire. Can we be honest with ourselves? We often desire the things that hurt us and then we blame other things. If we're honest with ourselves, right? We, we are blamed by different things. Uh, rather, we blame other things and then we say, well, that. And, and it happened back in the garden. If we look back into the garden, I mean, straight up, right? We go right back to Genesis and we see, the woman you gave me. The woman you gave me, she's the one. But man, you didn't take care of your house. So don't blame it on the woman. You both sinned. You both knew what was right. You both knew what you were not to touch. And you touched it anyway. Your desires got you there. Not the temptation and not the woman. Men, hear me. That's a call for men to realize where you are. You are in charge of your house Take it. If you don't, the world will. The enemy will. Are you hearing me? Try to fight temptation without changing desires is pointless and can lead you to frustrations, yes? When you want to stop things without really, really wanting to stop them, it's like saying, no, please don't do that. Because you lack desire. If our desires change, temptations will change. Now, you will always be tempted. Let me just, let me just be honest with you. You are always going to be tempted because we're always going to be imperfect in this world. Raise your hand if you're not perfect. If you did not raise your hand, raise your hand now because you just lied and now you're imperfect. So I got everybody on board. Welcome. None of us are perfect, right? None of us. And so that evil desire is always in us. That evil desire to do our own thing is always going to be within us. If it's not here, it's there. But we have to understand that every day we should be growing, growing as we begin to know him. Amen? So we look at that. Number one, sin comes from temptation, myth. Number two, just say no. What do we do when people who struggle and they just say no? No, with no change of desire. If you strip down much of the messaging that Christians are receiving, stop doing it. Stay away from it. Don't even think about it. Friends, that's not a plan. That's not a plan. As believers, we got to go deeper than that. It's not working. We can't just say, say no. 
We had to do something. That's why Joseph said no, and he ran from Potiphar's wife. Are you hearing this? He didn't just say no because he knew what would happen if he stood there. But he said no, and he ran. He did something. He filled the moment with his, what he had to do to change his environment. There are many people, look at me now, there are many people that say no and never leave the premises. Someone hits on you, they say no, but they never stop communicating with this person. They say, I don't want to smoke, drink, do this, whatever, but they hang around those that do it, that always done it, and then you just find yourself in this circle of, okay, God, forgive me this time. Okay, God, forgive me. How many times are you going to have to do the same thing over and over again asking God to forgive you? How many times before you become callous and you don't care anymore? It's not just no. It's sin replacement. It's temptation replacement. We have to understand that instead of just no, I'm going to say no, run away, and do something else. In other words, if I know I'm being tempted here, go here and get some worship music on. Get the word of God open. Break it open. Call somebody. Listen, I was just tempted by something, and I know that I can call you, brother. I know I can call you, sister. If you don't have somebody like that, get yourself one. Get yourself someone you can call and say, man, you will not believe what I just felt right now. Come on, brothers, you know what I'm talking about. Get yourself someone that you can call and say, man, I was just tempted, and I'm going to be transparent with you. It was awfully tempting. She was looking beautiful. It was looking enticing. I wanted to smoke that. I wanted to drink that. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. I wanted to go there, but I didn't. I thought about our conversation. I needed to tell you about it. Come on, somebody. Just saying no is not enough because sooner or later, your no will become oh and your oh will become oh no. (laughs) Myth that no is good enough. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this to the church at Colossae. Look at this for me, with me for a moment. Colossians chapter 2, turn there. Turn left in your Bible and find yourself in the book of Colossians. And we'll find ourselves here just after Philippians in chapter 2, verse 20. And it reads like this, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Let's stop there for a moment. If you, if you died in Christ, right? If you died in Christ, and the spiritual forces of this world are coming against you and you know you're no longer subject to it why do you submit to the world you should be submitted to Christ what is he saying he's saying to this church he's saying listen closely he's saying you no longer belong to this world why are you listening to them now when I say listening to them you hear what I'm saying right not saying that we don't We don't listen to the world. What I'm saying is the world as a system of your belief. Right? Not the people. 
God is not saying just ignore the world. He's saying listen to the world, but don't listen to how they think or obey how they think. Why do you submit to its rules as if you are part of this world? Friend, you're not. And that's what we're going to be starting next week. We're talking about different. We're talking about living differently. And you, look at me, every one of you are different. You were built with a different DNA that's kingdom DNA. You were built for a different fight. Why do you lose this earthly fight? Because you're fighting with earthly uh, possessions. You're fighting with earthly things. You, You try to fight with logic. You try to fight with your flesh. We don't fight the things of this world. We fight principalities and powers in dark and heavenly places. So we got to pray, God, show me how to fight properly. Right? That's like, I remember uh, years ago when I started watching MMA, mixed martial arts, I appreciate the art. When you have a a boxer get in there with a wrestler, you know stuff is going to happen very different, right? That boxer's not used to rolling around the floor. In fact, when a boxer hits somebody and the guy hits the floor, the boxer is trained to what? But the wrestler, oh no, the wrestler will keep going until he's on top of you. And he'll do everything he can to pin you, choke you, whatever it takes to do what he needs to do. He has a different approach. Why are you approaching the world that's fighting differently than you. We as believers have to understand that there's a lot of elements happening around us. We can't step back when the enemy's running. We got to keep going because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Come on, somebody. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I got one amen. Anybody else? You hear what I'm saying? We have to keep moving forward. And just saying no is not doing it. Let me read on. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Watch this. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, I forget which translation I used and and put there, but, but the reality is this. You know what he's saying? He's saying, why are you using weapons of this world to fight this world? You're using the wrong weaponry. In order for you to be a strong believer, you have to use the spiritual weapons God has given you because that digs right at the heart of everything that we're doing. So what are we saying here today? I'm saying to you that no is not enough. You have to pull back and understand that what you're fighting is not this world. You're fighting principalities and powers no matter where you are or what you do. If you're a believer, the enemy does not like you at all. You have to fight with the weapons of God's warfare. Are you hearing this? See, Colossians break down this human teaching that there's an appearance of wisdom that we have, right? There's an appearance of wisdom that we have, but it has no value in stopping the flesh. How many of you have ever prayed really hard? You had a battle, right? You had a battle, and then you prayed, but didn't change anything, and the thing didn't change either. Be honest. 
Be honest, be honest. We've all done it. We said, God, change this, change that. We prayed, and then nothing changed. And we're like, hmm, did God not answer my prayer just now? Is there a possibility that you prayed the wrong prayer? And you asked for the wrong weapon to fight that battle. Some weapons that we may have, we don't realize. And one of them is patience. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't like that one, do you? No, I didn't like a lot of, I didn't get a lot of amens. That's okay. Because patience is very much a weapon. In the kingdom of God, patience is a weapon. But just saying no to sin, just saying don't touch this or don't touch that, that's how come so many people think the commandments are wimpy. Or you just, you know, the commands, it just, it's just a bunch of rules are telling me what not to do. Do you know that it's so much more than that? If we look at the commands as they are, do not, do not, do not, of course it's going to look like that. But you know what God is doing? He's setting a tone for what you are to do in your life. You don't lie because truth is important. You don't steal because God has given everyone a measure and he will bless you if you keep what's yours and, and invest what's yours. Stop taking other people's stuff, including spouses, including people, including things and covering people's things. Right? And so we look at all these things. We, the world looks at the commandments like it's just a bunch of rules. God says, no, it's just to prove to you that you can't do it by yourself. And I set a pace for you to follow this and follow it because you understand what you do value, not just what you don't want to do. Christianity is not a list of rules of what not to do. Christianity is a principle that we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's a lot of ways we can do that within the bounds of freedom. Are you hearing this? But many people want to look at it like a list of rules. Just saying no to sin, depriving of ourselves of desires, and whip our bodies into shape. Right? How many of you ever said this to yourself? One day I'll figure it out. One day I'll realize that this is not good for me. One day I'll stop this or I'll stop that. It'll, it'll make itself known. But, but Colossians 3, if we go on a little further, Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above. Know that you've been raised with Christ, that your life is hidden with Christ, that Jesus is going to gather you home when he returns in glory. Somebody say amen to that one. Right? So in other words, don't focus on sin. Don't throw no after no at sin that comes your way. Understand that the reason why... That temptation is a temptation is because there's a desire inside that maybe, just maybe, God is allowing that temptation to come so you could finally see that you do have a desire still lingering in there. Deal with it. What if God ignored all of your evil desires? You realize that you have a serious problem, a growth problem. You realize that? That if every single time you struggle with something, God said, oh, you'll get, you'll get to it eventually. That's a horrible way to approach it. God would never do that. In fact, what he's trying to do daily is to grow you by showing you the things that you do wrong. Not because he wants to lord over you and tell you, look how bad you are. But that's what a lot of people think, right? That God wants to point out your sins so he can show you how bad you are so that you can see how, bad you, how badly you need him. I know how badly I need God without my sin. 
I know how badly I need God. I live in my own body. I know what's in there. So my evil desires and the things that I do have, you say, evil desires, what does that mean? Is it big sins? No, it could be little things that you think are little. But sin is sin in God's eyes, right? Just a little bit of anger, guess what? It's still anger. A little bit of lust, guess what? It's still lust. A little bit of bitterness, guess what? It's still bitterness. It doesn't matter the portion. It matters the content. And if it's in your heart, friends, it will grow. Look at me. Whatever you believe will grow. Whatever you don't kill will grow. Whatever you don't sacrifice at the altar of God will rear its ugly head in your body. It will rear its head in your marriage. It will rear its head in your family. Whatever you don't pull out and cut and dismember, take it out of your life. It will come back. So we look at that. And we look at focusing on Jesus and the gospel as a way of crying out yes after yes after yes. God, show me how to be more like you. Yes, show me. I don't just want to not be like the world. I want to be like Christ. I'll try it again. I don't want to not be like the world. I want to be like Christ. Because there's a lot of times that we, we approach it like that. We approach it like this. We approach it like this. We say, I don't want to be like this. Instead of saying, I want to be more like Christ. The world says, if you could just do something a certain way and get away with it, you're still doing good. Right? But being Christ-like and pursuing to be Christ-like says, I don't want to just go a mile, I'll go two miles. I don't just want to give this, I want to give that. I don't just want to love them in this way, I want to go the extra mile. See, the world's way of loving is a way that says, I'll do just enough to be recognized. The way that God says to love says, I want to do everything I can, go the extra mile and not be recognized. That's very different. Is this making sense? The third one is real simple, right here. And I've said this, I'm guilty of this one. Well, just fake it till you make it. I may not feel that way, but just fake it till you make it. I'm gonna keep saying I feel a certain way until I feel that way. Friends, I have a great uh, respect for people that have gone before me that have written, studied, and one of those is C.S. Lewis. How many appreciate C.S. Lewis? Great stuff. Masterful works he's written. One of them was one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, you need to read it. Every believer should read it. Some great things. But there's something that Lewis wrote in that book that made me go, huh. He wrote this, and I quote, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, you will presently come to love him. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think C.S. Lewis might have had a different approach. He didn't really go into it too deeply, but isn't it true that we often, we oftentimes try to fake it till we make it, like say it until you actually believe it? And while I think it's noble to some degree to practice that idea of doing something, even if you don't feel like it, you, you still, right? Some of you serve in ministry with all your heart others of you still struggle with 
Am I making a difference? Can I tell you something first of all? Thank you to anyone and everyone that serves in the house of God today. Every single one of you from the, from the greeters in the parking lot to the greeters at the door to the teachers that are teaching right now. Every single one of you that are doing something, I want to say a heartfelt thank you because you are what helps this church keep moving. But friend, I implore you, if you just fake it till you make it, there comes a point where that you're not going to love it unless your desire is to love it, unless your desire is to honor him. Here's my case in point. Are you ready? Because when I read this C.S. Lewis quote, I think about how oftentimes the Bible teaches us that actions can't produce affections. Only affections can produce actions. Now, let me put this in real practical term. If you are a parent, you understand what this is like. My child does something to the other child. And I didn't see this when I was a kid. I hated this. I would do something to my sister or my mom would catch me do something and I'd tease my sister or even throw something at her or whatever, something mean that an older brother would do. She would catch me. She would pull me to the side. She'd be like, now you go to your sister right now and you say you're sorry. And I had zero desire to say I'm sorry. In fact, she deserved it. I should have thrown it harder. Would probably be in my head, right? But because I don't want to get in trouble, I walk over and like a good Christian young boy, though I wasn't Christian at the time, I'd walk over and I would go with heartfelt sincerity. I would say, sorry. real heartfelt she felt that to her core I could see her in her face I could see it he really meant it it's okay that I have a protrusion coming out of my head it's okay that I have a tennis ball sized knot the side of my head it's okay brother I know you meant it no she would go And my mom would sit, look at her, look at me, and say, "Try again." <sighs> Sorry. And I try to make it sound, but it was not even close. You know what I'm saying? I didn't realize that years later I would be the one telling my kid. You go and you say you're through. You, you know you're serious when you're speaking through your teeth, right? You go right now and you say you're sorry right now. <sighs> sorry. And I would go, you didn't mean it. Try again. And I repeat what my mother did years ago. Full circle, friends. You reap what you sow. Now I'm the one telling them, mean it. Say it like you mean it or you're grounded. That's when all of a sudden they mean it. It's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
Here's my point. (laughs) I'm not sorry. I'm just sorry I got caught. And there's a big difference. Do you live your faith in a way that you're sorry or sorry you got caught? Do you live in a way that says sorry or sorry that I realize that I am a sinner and thank you God for saving me because I had no hope by myself. Friends, there are myths out there and if we live our lives in such a way that we don't love our neighbor like we love ourselves, that's where we come to where we are today in America. I don't care what color you are, I love you. I don't care what background you come from, I love you. I don't care how you were raised, I love you. So does God more so and if you have a problem with love you're going to have a problem with heaven if you have a problem with race you're going to have a problem in heaven if you have a problem worshipping God you're going to have a problem in heaven because all those things are taking place worship love, cultures all that is heaven are you hearing what I'm saying to you? See, we don't have an elephant or donkey problem. We have a lamb to serve. We have a lamb to serve. And that lamb gave his life for you and for me. So these myths, sin comes from temptation. Just say no. Fake it till you make it. These are lies and myths that will not help your faith. Friend, if you're hearing me, hear me closely. These myths have come into the church and they're affecting us. Let's realize that if we don't get to the heart of the matter, the matter will be your heart because that's what matters right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Our heart is the matter. How do we we turn around and change this then? Well, 1 John tells us this. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, because God is love. Friends, love for your neighbor is not created by acting like it. Love for your neighbor happens because you've decided to love. Make a decision. Choose an action of love, and decide that whether I like you or not, I'm going to love you. God didn't say like your neighbor. He said love them. You know what love does? Love does not look at just the outside. Like says, I don't necessarily care for the aura you bring. Love says, regardless of the aura you bring, I know God and his son, and he died for you, and I care that. I care about that in your life. Can you bow your heads to me all across this room for a moment? Father, I realize that there are myths, lies, things that aren't true, maybe just misunderstood. I'm asking you, God, that you would take these things and at the end of the day, may our heart be right and focused on you. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word that broken open allows us to see the truth of our own heart 
It's like a mirror that we, we, we would see ourselves the way you see us. Thank you for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and showed us how to love people. Thank you that you, Jesus, knew who Judas was and you still picked him. Because many of us act like Judas more than we do like Peter. We betray you. We do things that distort and bring dishonor. God, help us. Help us to be people who sit at your feet and grow and learn. Help us to be a people that love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Father, help us not to look at temptation as, oh, that thing, but really what is going on inside of me that causes me to want that thing. And even if it's just simple, sinful nature, help us to deal with that, plain and simple. Lord, you called us to be different. Now, God, debunk these myths in our lives. And when, when things that are not true come about, Holy Spirit, prompt us quickly. Prompt us to know what is truth and what is not. To know what is right and what is wrong. To know what is darkness and what is light. To separate them and know the difference. I'm asking you, Holy Ghost, speak to your people today in the name of Jesus. Just lift your hands right where you're at for a moment. Just lift your hand or your hands right now. Father, I ask you for every person watching, listening, or sitting here today right now. That God, as they have their hands lifted, God, would you reach out and let them see what is going on in their heart that causes them to be tempted by the things that they're tempted by. Lord, we never want to come to you with excuses. We want to come to you with faithfulness. So let it be true that when we stand before you one day, as my brother said earlier, that you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is our heart. That is our cry. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Stand with me all across this room. Can I have the house lights all the way up for just a moment? Keep that playing in the background, guys. Church, it is important that you pray as we start this next series different because I want to be very clear. We're living in a world that is looking for something different. And we are different. We are called to be different. So I want to leave you with this one final thought before you go about your week. What can I do differently this week that I didn't do last week? If you were called to be different, if you're called to live for Jesus, what can you do this coming week that you have not done last week or the week before? Because, friend, that's exactly what God is asking for you to do. Take action. Not just thinking for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, I'm different. How are you different? If you live, talk, and act like everybody else at your workplace, what makes you really different? 
Young people, look at me. Every person under the age of 18 and under, look at me. You're going to go to school this week, mask or no mask, virtually or not, and your attitude is either going to be that of Christ Jesus or the attitude of this world. Satan will love nothing more than to sift you. What does that mean? To embrace. Uh, he would love to, to just attack you with the mindset that you could do whatever you want. It's okay. He wants to sift you. He wants to take you out of the picture. But today you're not. Today you've decided I'm going to be different. Amen? And this is a call for everyone. Do something this week. And here's your homework. You ready? Do something this week that you didn't do last week. That's how you're going to live differently. And if it's aimed toward Christ, it's aimed in the right direction. God bless you and have a great week.